0: To speak to you man.
1: Nice to speak to you too. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> we've yeah. just been like through all kinds of technical fun getting this working. And it oh seems I know. It's
1: <laughs> <know the> <laughs> okay. It looks like Zencaster's recording as well in the background. Yes.
0: right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think we've got everything going. It's amazing. So I don't know I'll how to make. I
1: also record myself here offline. So Great. I'll have an audio from my side that's um, for my voice anyway totally okay. offline
2: perfect
0: oh okay great fantastic yeah wow this is this is a whole it's a brave new world steve we're (laughs) so yeah as as you know then this is this is the first time we've done this um and um so just to sort of um briefly introduce us um uh i met jasmine fairly recently we've we started talking about meditation um uh, she she has a background in it uh, maybe I, I won't try and explain that um <laughs> you could do that jasmine my background is um in uh, vipassana the the goenka tradition originally yeah. but i've sort of started exploring lots of different things recently which led me to talking to jasmine and jasmine's background uh, if she can fill us in on that
2: yeah so uh, for myself i um, I I also am a Vipassana practice uh, practitioner, but I uh, came in through like a yogic path, and I also am now a teacher with Search Inside Yourself. So they are specialised with in mindfulness at the workplace. So it's a range of different uh, techniques and practices that come together. And actually, I don't know so much about yourself but Steve gave some raving reviews uh, and how I wanted it to be is not necessarily having like researched your entire background, but for it to come more naturally as a conversation yeah. and in showing up. And just, yeah. ju-
0: and just for, for listeners um, to understand, we, we were going to meet Steve in person, um, but sadly this uh, <laughs> COVID crisis has has cut cut off everything like that at the moment um which is a, a damn shame but um it's great to be able to to speak to you anyway steve um through the magic of of skype um so i mean there, there's so much i'd love to talk to you about i did i did um prepare a few a few little questions um but perhaps i mean I, i'd be really interested to kick off with the the podcast thing you've been doing an amazing podcast find it yourselves listeners at guruviking.com um (laughs) for for a few years now right um and it's it's brilliant there's tons of really amazing interviews on there with with some really amazing um guests and I I just wanted to ask you about that really what what's your what have you learned from doing that because now you've you've had these opportunities to, to talk to so many amazing people around the world what what's been your what are your big takeaways, Steve? <laughs> well,
1: Yeah, thank you for your kind words about the podcast. It's, it is a lot of fun. Um, and, you know, the, some of the guests I've had on, or most of them really are really fantastic. Or I should say all of them <laughs> are wonderful. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like all of them. You know, I like them anyway. So, uh, yeah, I've learned a lot doing it, doing that podcast. Um, you know, many of my are experts in their fields with decades of study and practice so talking to somebody like that you know you have someone who's an expert on something all you ever wanted to know about that you can ask them yeah Yeah. Uh, especially when they're an expert in something that I'm interested in yeah Uh, so then I already know something yeah and you know I always find that when you when you get you know do a bit of research and learn a bit about something it opens up a lot of questions a lot more questions oh, what yeah. about okay well if that's that if that's true and that's true and that's true in this way of thinking what about this you know and that yeah. and they don't the books or you know the lectures don't have the what about this so you can ask them that it's like having a dialogue with the author of, of the book or whatever it is so it's great yeah yeah um, so but I, you know but in addition to the information I, I also have learned quite a bit by being exposed to how some of these people think yeah how they answer questions and sequence information. Um, That's also quite interesting. And that's a, that's a trans, um, translatable skill across disciplines. Uh, You know, how you organize information, if you're talking about this sort of meditation compared to, you know, ancient history or uh, anything really, politics, whatever you want to talk about, I mostly focus on people who are doing meditation, but that way of organizing uh, and prioritizing, Information is very interesting. Another thing. I think that I learn a lot from is where their answers come from When someone answers from deep personal experience Yeah, you can I think you can track it a little bit to its source and there's a sort of nonverbal um, Transmission which sounds very Mystical, but it's not that mystical because when I how I learned to cook myself for instance was with my mother mostly And she didn't really tell me what to do or how to do it. I mean, there was bits of that, but it was just sort of she's cooking and then I'm there and then I pick up a few things and I notice things about the way she does it. And I don't even really notice what I'm noticing. Little routines and little protocols that she has that she may or may not be aware of that just come from her many years of experience cooking. Yeah. It's those hundred little things that you pick up that are, you know, really the secret sauce, I think, a lot of the time. Uh, you can't being, really get that from books.
0: I'm being totally distracted here by my son in the background. Oh. So, hello, this hello. is Luca. <laughs> hello, <Luke. laughs> he's he's eight years old. <laughs> he, oh. he can be very annoying sometimes <laughs> sneaking around the background. He can't even hear us because I'm, I'm listening on headphones. I can hear so, it. So hang on. There you, there you go. You can say yeah. hello, Luca. Hello. Hi, Lucas. You're off school, eh? <laughs> I'm, I'm
2: not Lucas. I'm Luca.
0: Luca. Luca.
1: Yes. Okay. Luca. My apologies. You're off school, are you?
2: um there's no school today because of the government
1: that's great yes
2: (laughs) but i still have to do homework oh no (laughs) from my mom
1: that's
0: a rubbish apocalypse (laughs) (laughs) well that's that's cool right off you go luca bye bye i told you we could get your headphones if you wanted to join us. yes (laughs) (laughs) right and shut the door (laughs) okay (laughs) thanks all right um so taking taking from that like what what's your um how has it changed your perspective on on the range of i I, I guess or has it changed your perspective on on the, the range of um spiritual experience um
1: yes i think listening which is an important part of a conversation mm. um, is um, very informative for other kinds of to learn about other sorts of experiences, other people's experiences, and one of the things that I try to do in my own podcast, which is just a style, I suppose, is I sort of I try to uh, take their worldview. Yeah. or accept yeah. their point of view. So yeah. some people may maybe would interview a meditator and, and question certain claims in certain sorts of ways. Uh, yeah, and and I question, I do question things, but I tend to. Tr- so I say, okay, I assume that they are correct yeah. for the purposes of the conversation.
0: Yeah, and yeah, that,
1: and that I think when you start to take that other por- person's view and you start to allow the guest to take you into their world. and explain how it works from their perspective then it's it's a tremendous learning experience
0: yeah yeah no I I love that and it's it's something that I've really enjoyed about your podcast it's just that you you really allow guests a lot of space just to kind of let let them ramble and then prompt them occasionally and and that's to me it makes a great listening experience I've I listen to lots of podcasts are uh, kind of on the dharma type stuff since i got into them only really about four or five months ago mm. some of some of the get some of the the interviewers are just like combative and it's just yeah. come on this guy's been meditating for like 40 years you're a fucking newbie you, excuse language we'll <laughs> have to beat that out again jasmine doesn't like me swearing um <laughs> you know you don't know what you're talking about why question the guy like just let him talk <laughs> and, and that's been quite funny sometimes listening to them
1: yeah I think the combative approach can be a creative one. Yeah. Um it can be it it can it can in a certain sense when you put someone against the ropes yeah they have to be you might put them in a new spot and yeah. then they have to talk from their perspective in that new spot which can be quite creative. Yeah. So I don't yeah. think it's it's necessarily a problem to be combative if it's productive and respectful like respectful combat. You know, it's yeah. like uh, like the martial arts. You know, you, <laughs>
0: indeed, when you're indeed. training
1: with somebody, you're fighting them, but it's sort of, but you also respect them at the same time because they're your training partner, and thanks to them, you get to, to train. Yeah, and it's a little bit like that with a with a guest on the podcast. By all means, I think go, you know, you can you can be a bit combative if that's a style, yeah. and it's useful. But there's that sense of well, of I think respect. You know, that, that yeah. we're co-creating this uh, this war. <laughs> yeah, you to turn the light on. I didn't know we were going to be on video, so I'm going to
0: turn the light on. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, I don't even know if we're going to use it, to be honest, Steve, but um, we just thought we might as well grab it just in case.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh, We also thought that maybe because in being able to see one another, it uh, elicits more connection and understanding.
0: Emotions. We're after the emotions here, Steve. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So what's your practice yeah. like, Steve, for those who don't know?
1: My own personal meditation practice, you yeah.
2: mean? Yeah, and particularly maybe in a time of crisis like now, where a lot of people are finding as though mental health and distress is becoming more prominent.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Um, so you're... So, you, okay, I can talk about my own personal practice in the midst of a situation like that. Would that be useful?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Is that what you're asking?
2: I mean, it's it's very free flow, what we're doing. So however mm-hmm. you interpret, yeah.
1: Sure. Well, 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 okay, I'll just tell you a bit about my regular kind of practicing then. Well, you know, uh, it's quite simple, really. It's very basic. I do... Some meditation each day and um, that's the main at the moment thrust or passion uh, of my practice I also do various sorts of movement practices as well uh, throughout the, throughout the week uh, do that a bit of strength training and do a way of moving that I uh, sort of synthesized or created called movement koan method which is a uh, a way of moving your body um, you know that nourishes the joints and explores all kinds of interesting themes because a koan is a zen riddle um, in the zen tradition they have these koans what's the sound of one hand clapping and things like that people may be aware of that sort of thing and they're training tools you're given this sort of riddle by your zen teacher and principally in the rinzai tradition and then you go off you go into your Dokazan, you get your riddle your koan and then you go back to the zendo meditation hall and you sit there and you ask yourself the question who am i who am i who am i I?" whatever is the riddle and it's a training tool essentially and so to investigate facets of awakening you could say or to um, throw you into a kind of open state something like this There's all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of ways of interpreting that. But anyway in the movement kind method That's what a lot of that is. I mean on the one hand, it's it's a good way of moving the body Moving limbs in different directions at the same time seeing how little effort you can exert While you're standing on one leg and swinging the other and all that sort of thing and these can all be lenses to look at certain themes Uh, so uh, I, I engage in that very regularly um and also of course a little bit of qigong you know sort of thing a bit of yoga that sort of thing really but my main stay i think my main um, passion at the moment is meditation Yeah.
0: and w- what um do you use a, a particular technique for that i actually had a, i had a question written down which was could you explain your, your, your practice to a child, to a lay person, to an experienced meditator, kind of three levels of it, mm. if that would make sense?
1: Yeah, great that's question. a great
3: question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a great question. Uh, okay, yeah, to a child, the way I'd, I'd explain my meditation practice would be, uh, I think to, when you explain something to a child, the most important thing is the modelling. Modeling, uh-huh. you know. I think when now I'm not an expert in child education, so this is my unqualified opinion. I don't have, have a child, unlike yeah. you with Luca. There, I don't have a son. Yeah. So, you know, this is sort of my thing here. But uh, I was once a child. That's true. <laughs>
3: but,
1: um, so that that's my uh, source of authority on this. <laughs> but um, anyway, I think the most important thing is to model the practice, yeah. to be doing it. Uh, but also to, in a certain sense, have the practice showing in in your life and the way you are. And that's that will naturally happen. Uh-huh. And I've, I find that uh, children seem to be quite receptive to the way you are. And they're very perceptive about all the little things. They pick up all the little things and you sit there and you sort of try to tell the child, no, no. You know, this is this is this and this is that and yeah. very often they just lose interest immediately. <laughs> you know? But um, but if you can catch their fascination, yeah, um, and often I think the way to do that is also is to be interested in the child, to yeah. regard them with interest. And yeah. that's also actually a meditation technique yeah. in a way, isn't it? To yeah. take yeah. regard an object with interest and fascination and and that allows a child, I think, to flourish and their curiosity to flourish. Mm -hmm. You know, and then a little that's what so that's what I would say I would um, I would just sort of be that way With a child and then if they were interested, you know, I'd say okay Just give them little technical instructions. Feel your body, you know, feel your head Feel your bottom on the ground things like that little things. Yeah Yeah. Um, And that's a way of explaining the practice I think so that they can get into it a bit Um, To a lay person that this happened to me very recently. I was going through a border an international border at an airport and the agent there you know they ask you questions who are you and what do you want here and you know what do you have your papers and so on and so forth and this particular agent was asking me that and I was explaining who I am and what I'm doing and these are my papers and all that and then they said um, so there then in the process of this interrogation um, she started she said to me so okay well give me an example of how you'd work with somebody You know, in a (laughs) meditative way. And I said, well, and I started talking a bit about anxiety and so on. And then she said, interesting. Well, I'm not really, uh, I don't really suffer much with anxiety, but I could use more concentration, you know, Uh more focus. Actually, Uh she said focus. I could use some more focus, you know. And I said, well, that's very interesting. I said, well, the thing about your job that's so interesting is that you're sitting here in the booth. And then people are coming and people are, and you're always having to deal with people. People are frightened sometimes or nervous, you know, mm. and you're questioning them. And, but, but in between, but I said to her then, um, but can you hear the trolley? And there was a baggage trolley going by. And she said, oh yeah. And I said, can you feel your, your body with your uniform on sitting on the chair? Can you feel that? And she said, yeah. And I said, and then if, we, and if you look, can you see all the people? Very interesting nationalities, different nationalities, <clears throat> different colors of clothing. Quite an interesting mix.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And she says, yeah. And I, and I said, uh, well, in between each person that comes
3: mm-hmm.
1: to see you, you have a moment there where you're basically not needed for anything so you can at that in that moment listen what can you hear feel what can you feel in your body see what can you see around you the play of color and light so in actual fact this your government is could be paying you to meditate <laughs> <laughs> so that's how i would explain it to a lay person is is a practical kind of nugget
0: yeah yeah, you know? yeah. I love that. That's so hilarious. You had a chat with customs but <laughs> yeah, it was
1: pretty really cool actually.
0: You know? uh, so funny. I, Steve, I just, I, I just, just to interrupt really quickly, I just um, realised that we're we're gonna it's gonna degrade our audio quality quite a lot. Um, if you've got the sound on speakers, if you have got a pair of headphones knocking about? You could plug in. Yeah. Just just noticed it now. Sorry. What? That is such a cool story. I love that. It's like. Um, it's like it. It sounds like straight out of a a, a Zen book. Actually, it's like. Oh really? <laughs> Master, describe your meditation experience. <laughs> Can you hear the sound of the leaves in the trees? <laughs> it's, kind of, it's got that quality of like <laughs> yeah. answering with a question. It's beautiful.
1: Well, those kinds uh, of um. Well, that's what she was asking me. She was sort of asking me the same question. Can you hear? Me yeah. Too? She was asking me the same sort of. She was asking me that question, really, the same yeah. question you're asking. But you know, she was asking it per, partly to ascertain. You know, that's their job is to ask you questions and see if you're yeah. like, guilty about or something. Yeah. And um. Uh, let me see if I can just change this. audio. Uh, one two. That's a bit better. Yeah. Great. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway, and the, and and. Yeah. On the other hand, she was interested. She was yeah. interested in a certain kind of. Uh, uh, she was interested in focus wh- whatever yeah. that means to her you know I don't whatever she thinks focus would give her is what she's really interested in obviously
3: yeah
1: uh, there's something that she thinks if she became more focused she'd achieve or get or she you know something would be better yeah and so that's the best way to explain it to somebody because you can, you can say very little that's right on to what they're interested in uh, without having to explain all this unnecessary contextual information. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then and then there's a greater chance of it I think being useful for them.
0: Oh, that's beautiful man So the the third one then how would you explain? Uh, what you do to an experienced meditator perhaps someone who's familiar with Buddhist stuff?
1: Yeah to an experienced meditator I would say something like I am um, enjoying. Let's <laughs> I'd say something like, let's see, I'd say, isn't it wonderful?
0: <laughs>
1: um, the center falls apart yeah. and everything is alive.
0: Nice. <laughs> That's what I'd say to experience meditation. I think. Isn't it wonderful? That's, That's very poetic, also. Nice.
2: I love the so, different um, distinguishing like ways in which you, you open and unfold it. And I think a lot of the perspective has been taken from where they're really coming from and showing up with them in that moment. And I think uh, it might be that we'll take an imaginary person because I, I am not going to point a finger at anyone. Um, it might be as though sometimes it, it's, it's hard to show up in where, like telling, bridging that connection from where we're coming from and to translating that to something understandable or where someone else can really understand us too. And I think you have a really strong sense of being, like that is a real strength that you have.
0: Oh, thank you. Nice. Uh, I wanted to ask you also about your your summer retreat so last year um dear listener steve did three hours a day was it a home retreat which is also something that jasmine will have some some perspective on because she did that for most of a year i believe so um i'd love to hear um how that was for you and and perhaps we could like bounce bounce some um, some feels back from jasmine on that as well
1: yeah that's very interesting um i'm curious now about what jasmine did but i suppose i should answer your question first before I answer her <laughs> questions.
3: <laughs>
1: but um okay yeah well <clears throat> when in the summer uh we don't we we don't teach as much because people are going on holidays and at school holidays and so people aren't coming to events and so on so um, I don't teach as much in terms of publicly, so I come on the boat. I have an hour boat in the UK that I live on, and usually around six weeks actually. And there's lots of work to do, uh, uh, you know, calls, you know, business things, all sorts of work to do. Just not a lot of travelling and public teaching in that sense. So one of the things that I have done over the last few years is taken that period of time to increase my practice and. Mm-hmm. Do more practice than usual. Do more meditation than than usual during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I do it is, I maintain my daily practice because I think the most it's so vital to have a sort of golden thread of continuity of regular practice. So whatever mm-hmm. I do in my daily practice
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, will stay. So I get up and do my regular kind of thing, and then from there, having done my daily practice, I've kind mm. of nailed. I've, I've Nailed life, you know, I'm I'm victorious as a meditator because I've done my <laughs> minimum amount yeah. and then uh, from that place of uh, from that positive feedback loop of of victory of having done my relatively easy You know daily practice. Yeah, I then do more and so usually I do four hours um, and Then throughout the day either in one right. block or two blocks or three blocks or four blocks depending uh, yeah, that's what I did and this and I some you know this last one I took the theme of I took one ve- one meditation technique and other than yeah. my daily practice I took one meditation technique and did that the entire time all the time. Yeah, which was focusing on the Sensations that reveal the presence of the breath at the nostrils. So standard sort of thing that I think many people know about focusing on the feeling the
0: sensations of the
1: breath mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's what I did for those six weeks it was very interesting
0: yeah yeah I can imagine yeah.
1: <laughs> let um,
2: alone just like um when you're in a, a silent meditation and then you're just doing exactly that for four days I mean even though it's broken up in how you've done it over that period of time I'm sure that the effects were very intense Yeah, I'm super keen to know what kind of experience you You had and what it was like doing that
1: yeah well as you as you rightly say it's not it's sort of a half retreat in a way or a mini retreat because I was doing other things during the day you know other times but still four hours is substantial enough increase from what I normally Mm -hmm. do to you know produce an interesting outcome you could say or to you know to be interesting Um, and or to have an effect if you want or whatever and so I learned a a lot of things during that time one of the things that's uh, about meditation is of course there are many many different sorts of meditations and one thing when you just choose one technique for a finite period of time is that you don't have to make any choices about your practice at all you just simply do the thing that you've decided to do. And there's there's no there's no energy spent yeah. on choosing what technique shall I use, what's the best technique to use now? Is this the best technique I could be using now? Should I be doing this other kind of technique? And should I be doing this and the other? Mm-hmm. And that kind of decision-making process, much of which happens, by the way, during meditation, <laughs> which is where it shouldn't be happening in a way. Uh, you know, I think analysis of your meditation is an evaluation of your meditation is a really good thing to do when you're not meditating but when you Mm. are meditating really you should just apply whatever is the technique you're doing Mm -hmm. um but anyway uh so that was cool and because the technique is so simple it also has it it continues on that theme of 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 not needing to make very many decisions essentially am i do i have contact with the sensations of the breath at the nostrils If the answer is no, and I'm doing anything else, then the answer is always come back to the sensations of the breath that reveal the presence of the breath of the nostrils. So it's a really easy algorithm, meditationally speaking. Other meditation practices have different algorithms, more complicated. You know, if you're doing body scanning, there's a lot more to do. Or Mm. if you're going from different sensations, just noting different sensations as they appear in your awareness, that also has more complexity to it. Or if you're mm. visualizing yourself, you know, as Green Tara or something, you know, there's more to it. And that's not a bad thing that has pros and cons. But one of the pros of, of something that's so simple as mm. contact with the sensations of the breath is that, that it's really easy, much easier to um, more of your energy could go into the, to the actual technique. And that's really good for somebody like me. So, yeah, I learned a, an awful lot. Um I guess I could say a couple of things. I feel like actually, as I do more and more solo retreats, I feel that one of the main things that's happening is I'm getting better at doing solo retreats. (laughs) So I have this sense that maybe, you know, as I get better and better at doing solo retreats, whatever practice I can muster in that solo retreat is going to have more benefit. Um, So there's two, there's two, uh, Fronts when you're thinking about practice the way I think about it is you've got the practice itself which in this case was concentration Concentrating on the breath and uh, as you as you said that can go me in different directions and you, when you emailed me You said you asked is it shamatha, is it jhana, and there's different directions. Right, yeah, you can go. yeah That's the sort of technical progression in the same way that if you're doing exercise and you do weight training You're going to have a certain people will tend to have a certain effect when they do heavy lifting of weights mm. uh, other if you do jogging then people will tend to have a certain adaptive effect that comes from doing jogging. And that's the same with the different meditation techniques. When you do a certain mm-hmm. kind of meditation technique, there's a sort of general trend of, that you, of development or progression or unfolding. That yeah. one is likely to experience that's different for everybody, but broadly similar in the same way mm-hmm. that weight training is different for everyone, but broadly similar. But then there's the other side of it, which is the practice of practice, mm-hmm. which is no matter what technique you're doing, there's certain things they have in common. Yeah. There's the practice or you know, whether you're playing guitar or you're doing meditation or whatever it is, you have to get to do it. You have to sit down to meditate or do your practicing each day. And that in mm-hmm. itself is quite a journey.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you have to and you begin to understand in different meditation techniques, your mind, the way your mind works. And those understandings, I think, are common to all or most techniques or at least the opportunity for those is so for me when it comes to solar retreat and in fact even daily practice one of the things i say to myself is how can i improve the container how can Mm. i improve the the delivery system of my practice which is the routine or the structure so Mm. that what i whatever i do in my practice however well that's going or however well i can do that's that's going to be in a certain sense uh optimized or amplified and so I learned a few things there about solar retreats. Each year I make so many mistakes and then uh, I go, okay, I will try not to do that one next time and then I make some more mistakes the next time. So I, one thing I learned is that it's important. I know it's important to have an on-ramp with a solar retreat.
3: Mm. An
1: on-ramp is a few days where you do not, um, where you sort of get gradually get into it. So mm-hmm. if your goal is to sit like, like I was doing four hours, maybe you just start off with your regular practice at an hour, at a couple of hours, it's very relaxed mm, and you're kind of just mm. getting into it and you're coming down from regular busy traveling around, teaching things, you know, yeah, talking yeah, to people yeah, life yeah. into that more contemplative space. And I think it's good to do that gradually. On a group retreat, you don't tend to have that luxury because you've only got a week or two in your group retreat and they you know, they want to make the most of it. So, But then the other thing that's really important is an off ramp. And I Mm. didn't. That's something I um, didn't do this summer. I was so loving it, my practice that and so having a nice time that I wanted to keep practicing right up to the moment I had to walk out the door to the airport, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And that's not that wasn't so smart (laughs) (laughs) because I kind of launched out of the retreat. And Into life and I still had what they call yogi mind, which is, you know, you you have to you just your brain just starts working a little differently when you're in that kind of Contemplative space and I was sort of going to the airport. I couldn't really remember Why I was doing it (laughs) What was the point it wasn't like I was depressed it was more of a sort of oh Yeah, everything's kind of feels I just felt like I was still on retreat
2: essentially I just so
1: I think a bit of um Uh, Yeah, an off-ramp is also very smart. Yeah, I learned a bunch of other things too, but that's definitely one of them
0: Nice nice
1: and an experience that I had that was interesting Regarding the actual meditation part itself Uh was that of course one has a certain level of concentration and ability to pay attention to what it is you want to pay attention to and the opposite of concentration, you could say, is, is distractibility. So you know, yeah. and very often when you sit there and you focus on the breath, then suddenly you find yourself washed up like a surfer washed up on a beach. You find yourself thinking about something else. You're mm-hmm. no, you're no longer contacted with the breath. You think about something else, and you think, oh, I didn't notice that I was thinking about something else. I didn't notice I left the object. Mm. I just found myself washed up on the shore of distraction and then you're washed up and you go oh and then that moment you go Oh, you're no longer distracted. And of course as we all know you come back to the breath Well as you keep doing that your concentration can begin to improve and what previously would have knocked you off Mm. into distraction You get maybe a couple of seconds more lead time Mm -hmm. initially, so you're you get a little bit longer where that material that previously would have knocked you off doesn't knock you off yet, which means you're conscious for something that previously you would have been unconscious for mm. a little bit of a certain kind of a content. So that's very interesting. You begin to see, or I began to see certain well content and then of course, then it knocks you off into distraction and you come back and so on and so forth. Eventually you can get to the point where, You can have entire weather systems of thought or emotion or memory Mm. or Mm. activation can come up in your body play out fully and then die off or recede without losing contact with the object which means you're there for the entire thing yeah and that's extremely educational so I would be on the nose and then the the mind and the body become like a membrane and suddenly pure anger (laughs) pure fear coming up with thoughts with feelings it's pure it's like distilled you know like uh, alpine mountain water pure kind of uh, emotional states and and activations and so on come through and when you experience those in a when you're there for them because the peripheral attention is open you're focused focused on the breath but your peripheral attention is open so one's aware of other things um it's enormously um it felt very purifying it felt very cathartic and it felt very actually very loving funnily mm, enough, mm, felt mm. very loving to be there for that so yeah that's some experience nice, I, nice. I, I just thank
0: you
2: for sharing
0: yeah so cool um So a big discovery for me in the past few months has been the the jhanas, um, which for for listeners who don't know this stuff, are kind of a a very old, I think even pre-Buddhist, like maps of um, various states of awareness um, that one can go through. Uh, one can develop through awareness practice I'm, I'm kind of caging that because I'm not I'm, I'm trying to be careful with the terminology um, sometimes called concentration states but I don't like I don't like that term because I don't think it's very helpful in getting into them uh, otherwise known as what was it there's a nice translation of jhana which is something like um, it's it's like a stateful awareness or, or calm contemplation or it's like those kind of things they 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 frame it with anyhow that's been a a big discovery for me recently in terms of uh, you know reading the literature on it and then having experiences that seem to to match it quite quite precisely in a really interesting way and you never know how much of that is scripting and how much of it is is really there but it seems to be for in my experience recently anyway very kind of Um, a dependable sequence of events happens in this type of meditation and i just wanted to to dig into your experience with that and and if it if it kind of informed what you were doing in the the anapana stuff which sorry the concentration on breath meditation also known as anapana
1: Mm -hmm. that's very interesting well now i have more i still have my (laughs) Um, bookmark question for Jasper yeah. about her year of doing three hours a day. Yes.
0: Yes. Uh, which, sorry. sorry I Jasper, want to come we'll back, back to that, that
1: but <laughs> But uh, wh- that's interesting. So what what are you doing then with the Janas? You presumably have some sort of Technique that you're using to enter into these. Yeah. as they're sometimes called absorption states
0: Yeah, yeah, um, so I I picked up on um, The the fire casino as it's called um, via Daniel Ingram who, who co-wrote a book on it um and yeah really succinctly it is meditating whilst using a visual uh, some sort of visual focus it could be as simple as you know and an, like any any object you could use um you know a, a a piece of paper on the wall or a candle and i started with a candle um, lately i've just been using a little torch to, for the same thing and i've what i found is that very quickly allows me to access these these states Um, it seems to open a door much quicker than um, breathing meditation did for me and and that's um led me into um all kinds of very interesting kind of sometimes quite quite explosive um fireworky experiences through through that door Um, and what i've been exploring recently is as i mentioned these different stages and and they seem to be kind of progressively opening up as i go through these meditations and they seem to match quite closely as i'm like what the hell is this so for the past 10 days or so this thing started happening and i was like what the hell you know that it's this what what just happened there kind of thing and and i'm trying to match it to other things i've read about and my, my you know my closest analog for it now is it's probably fourth jhana that's kind of what seems to be happening in this meditation
1: what's which, happening can you describe the phenomenology
0: so my, my first experience of it was okay so so for uh, again for anyone who doesn't know what the jhanas are that they, they uh, i'll I'll, I'll, so go in I'll go through them real quick i'll go through them real quick the <laughs> first one is you're concentrating and you you need to you need effort to concentrate um that they, they they i've also read that they go from very light versions of this sort of thing to incredibly deep versions and i think i'm somewhere in the in the light end of this because i'm not on retreat i'm just doing daily practice um the first one you need to you need to concentrate the second one you don't and all kinds of um that in the old pali language they call them piti and sukha which are two types of enjoyment basically one is like ecstasy and the other one is like kind of like a kind of real enjoyment of that ecstasy something like that um that happens at, and the second one the third one you get less of one type of enjoyment and and some of the other <laughs> the fourth one you get neither types of enjoyment you are just purely in the moment and that's what started happening to me recently in this this it, i mean there's a lot more nuance to that description but at first i was like "What is this thing i experienced no time or space and and but digging into it more more it, it just felt like everything had kind of almost solidified space time um mental sensations sensations of the body the 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 visual object it w- was all just kind of one thing and it was very intense and just like, oh, I've never felt that before. What the hell was that? But digging into it more, there is still time and space in there. And, and then I, I read that the fifth, jhana is about the space of the fourth. It's an exploration of the space and digging into that some more. I mean, this is going to sound so esoteric to anyone who hasn't done this stuff, but that's been my experience. Digging into the fifth, it's like okay um there's actually tons of space here and it's very very weird to dig into it's almost like a feeling of vertigo because sometimes it feels almost like the body disappears um so that's been in a nutshell my my recent experiments with (laughs) jhanic meditation and um i just wanted to like run you, you know i'll ask you about how that went with with the the breathing meditation basically did what kind of states were you exploring
1: yeah well i'm happy to start to to say that but may i ask you one more question so what what's your daily um routine in terms of in terms of practice i think someone listening Mm. to that description might uh, well someone listening (laughs) be me i'm interested um (laughs) in uh What's your daily practices in terms of say you do uh-huh. half an hour yeah. or you do you, sure. know, you wake up three in the morning you do seven hours, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know no, no,
0: it? It, It's very lightweight at the moment. I mean i'm doing between 30 and 60 minutes a day most mm-hmm. days usually in one sit usually in the morning mm-hmm. um and i'm starting by Sitting in a quiet or not not so quiet space sometimes i've just got like family and friends next door and it's all kicking off with football on the wall um but i'll focus on a candle or or an led light to start with and then continue focusing on that and then focus on the after image um as i shut my eyes after a minute or so um and that leads into all the other stuff basically that's been my experience of it
1: cool Uh, yeah so you're asking me now about jana specifically regarding the summer retreat
0: yeah is it something you've explored and and did you find that what what were your i'm just trying to dig into the phenomenology of of your retreat a bit yeah
1: well Yeah. I have explored Janus to a certain degree. And as you're, as you're, as you're saying there, there is quite a wide range of uh, interpretations and standards yeah. and methods. Yeah. That's part of the fun of meditation. There's lots of different ideas about it. Yeah. And I actually interviewed someone from the, what you would say the lighter end of things, Lee, hmm. Lee Brasington.
3: Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's
1: yeah. a student of Iikema and he wrote a book called, um, uh, right Concentration, A yeah. Practical Guide to the Jhanas, I think. And that's a really interesting book. So that's, uh, I think, one of the well-circulated books about about the lighter end of Jhana.
2: Right. And
1: then there are some other, the other end of the pool, where Jhana, the standards for Jhana, what state constitutes yeah. a Jhana state. Yeah. Um, I've interviewed Tina Rasmussen and Steven Snyder separately Yeah. a couple of times, actually, and they co-wrote a book called Um Practicing the jhanas and they were a student of, um, oh my goodness, that's terrible. So, uh, Pyoxyador,
0: Pyoxyador,
1: yeah. who's has, has had notoriously high standards for.
0: Yeah, gym. yeah, yeah. Maintaining this one thing for like. I mean, in his way, a of thinking
1: about it, is an absurd. Yeah. Yes, that's for the test. Um, in his way of thinking about it, even the first jhana will be a a non-dual state where subject an object are you know the, the subject object uh, dichotomy is somewhat collapsed and there's uh-huh. you're not there basically right, right if you right, if you're right. there having a jhana it's not a jhana that's sort of yeah, their way of yeah, thinking yeah. about it and so whereas Lee Brasington would say you know you you that the, 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 those sorts of non-dual states might come much later in the jhanas uh-huh. uh, so just different ways of going at it and of course yeah. they've all they've got their Reasons for why they think it's it's light or strong uh, My experience of of the Janus, um I think States of complete absorption and Dissolution ha- ha- have happened to me accidentally mm-hmm. so I'm not able to sit down and go through deep, the deep jhanas like Tina Rasmussen and Steven Snyder mm-hmm. did mm-hmm. on their retreat where mm-hmm. part of their test, as you hinted at, they'd have to enter a jhana and as they enter it, they set an intention to come out a little bit like, you know, when you can, you, I don't know if you've ever tried this. You can make yourself wake up in the morning. Yeah. If you have to wake up at like six in the morning. Then you can, you can set an intention for five 55. You've yeah. got an alarm for six. So you don't, you know, lose your job and ruin your life. But on the other hand, you can still play the game and say, right, let me get up at five, two or something like that. Like yeah. Nine yeah, yeah. minutes past five. Yeah, yeah. You can really set that, and then you, you wake up naturally before your alarm. That's a yeah. fun game. So I think it's something like that. And they sit down and they, she would say, okay, Tina or Stephen would have to say, okay, they'd intend to come out of the janner in two hours or three yeah. hours or four yeah. hours. And they go into the Jana state, entering it at will and exit it, exiting it at will. They look yeah. at the clock. And if it was three hours, 58, they did not pass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it reminds me of... Um, it reminds me of I, I'm into cutting into doing sort of outdoorsy things and yeah. my very first survival course we, we were taught to make fires right and we, one of our tests was we had to make a three minute fire and uh-huh. the idea is to understand the rate of how things the rate of how things burn because it's one thing to be able to make a fire it's another thing yeah. to understand a fire uh-huh. if you make a huge fire uh, then there's a saying that if you make a big fire you keep warm getting firewood if you right. make a small fire you keep fi- warm from the fire. So right. it's up to you, you know, what you want to do. And so you have to kind of learn the rate of burn. And so you would make your little fire and and then you would try to light it and then you light it and you'd say to the instructor, okay, time me, time me. And, and time and then you've got to sit there and wait and it should be out in three minutes. So you know how, right. you know, you understand. Right. What. So it's a bit like that. It's an interesting test. It's similar to the Jana test in a way. Um, I would say my summer retreat was not especially focused on the jhanas. Yeah. Um, Probably more in the somewhat shamatha direction. Mm. It didn't open up. The jhana angle didn't open up particularly. I was more, um, I encountered various obstacles Mm. in my practice as well, but also, yeah, so I noticed for instance, Sometimes I'd sit down, say it's week three or four, and I sit mm. down and I feel, wow, I'm sitting down to this third session of the day, and it feels much like the first one. Mm. Why, you know, why is that? I should be deepening throughout the day, perhaps, maybe, and maybe not something. And then I realize any screen time drastically drains the concentration. Mm. So okay, but my life involves a lot of screen time. Yeah. So okay, that's fine. So then you work yeah. with the effect of screen time, yeah. and that's a very valid approach, yeah. I think. So. Um, I would say j- the Janas were not a strong feature of this year's retreat. In yeah. the past, they have been yeah. stronger, but in this one, it had more of a kind of mm, yes, some more shamatha kind of feeling, purification, oh. uh, falling in love with the uh, falling in love with the sort of the kindness of mundane experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think falling in love with the mundane maybe would be more characteristic.
0: You know? Nice.
2: And then nice. a
1: lot of classic uh, concentration things came up. I had lots of drowsiness, you know, yeah, sinking <laughs> yeah. into sort of these beautiful, that's not a jhana. You know, it feels a little bit like a jhana because you're sort of you know, sinking so nice and the time yeah. goes really fast, but it, yeah. it lacks the awakeness you see that you need. Yeah. To. So you need calm, you know, you need calm abiding, but you do need that abiding. You need the awake from right, not just the
0: right, calmness. Right. So yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, that's the phrase I was looking for earlier. Calm abiding. It's a nice yeah. one. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So before before I forget, Jasmine. Can, can you i'm talk just to Josh going about to your, your thing?
2: quickly go to the bathroom all right go for it because i had it. too much tea <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I, I like that we're able to do that in this podcast this is it's just a natural chat you know you've got to take breaks and all the rest of it <laughs> so um the the other the other thing that i i wanted to dig into I, i'm also aware we're we're 52 minutes in um i've got time i'm
1: self i'm i'm we are all on lockdown in this country so
0: (laughs) i know right we could we could talk all day man
1: (laughs) the next three months
0: oh my gosh um well that's great to hear Uh, i wanted to ask uh, about your your thoughts on on the the current moment so for anyone listening in the future we are in uh, at the end of week one of of lockdown yes sure um just my son there grabbing his ipad um we're in the end of the first week basically of of lockdown of the uk and it doesn't feel much like a lockdown yet but um the the streets of my my local high streets have got queues in them to the to the food shops and it's just a weird kind of feeling with you know we can't buy like eggs anywhere and like basic sort of things like that are uh, disappearing it's um, a strange moment, um, everyone's freaking out, people are wearing masks in the street and um, the, the world is going to shut down for a few months basically as, as, as everyone said about this virus. So what what are your what what are your thoughts on it Steve and, and how, how would you recommend for, for anyone who's listening who maybe they don't have any kind of meditation practice or they're developing one for the first time? perhaps via an app or something like that what would you what would your advice be to to, to people out there how, how to approach this moment in history <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you, you went from my thoughts on it to advice on how to approach this moment in
0: history <laughs> okay <laughs> let's quite, go with thoughts. that's, a, that's easier right
1: <laughs> yeah well um <laughs> yeah. Well, I think maybe the second question the thing is from a meditation point of view. Yeah. It's business as usual. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, our, our stock and trade in meditation is human experience, Yeah, whether it's the sukha of the dukkha, you know, as you right. say, whether it's the, whether it's it's full Janic states or, you know, fear, sickness, death. And you know, in a way, that's that's business as usual in terms of meditation.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if I was talking to somebody, as you said, who's beginning a meditation practice, I would say something like, with high intensity, mm. a lower dose has a higher effect. So what I mean by that is mm. there's variables in any let's take physical training situation
3: mm-hmm.
1: you have variables intensity frequency and duration mm. and i learned these this way of approaching things from my main meditation teacher Shin young or one of my main meditation teachers and you know frequency if you want to imp- increase your training effect you can train more often if you want yeah. to increase from meditation point of view that would mean maybe doing more than one session a day, or going from once a week to three times a week, or whatever it is. Uh, if you wanted to increase your in your um, practice, the other is duration, which means you do it for a bit longer. So rather mm-hmm. than five minutes, maybe you do ten minutes or something like this. Mm-hmm. Maybe then 15 minutes, you try 20 minutes. So that's an increase in duration. Uh, and there's also intensity. So in the weight training situation, that would be a heavier weight. You know?
3: mm.
1: Sure, you can do more reps. You can make the reps last longer, doing a slow kind of bench press rather than a fast mm. one, or you can put more weight on the bar. Any mm. of those three, any of those three adjustments will affect the the training effect.
3: Mm.
1: So, in a time of high stress, or a time of very much difficulty, whether mm. it's physical pain, emotional pain, such as fear and uncertainty, uh, hunger uh etc that's like having a heavy weight on the bar mm. so often people find that they sit down there they try to do their meditation and it's just so intense that they yeah. that they can't do it the way they used to or they can't yeah. they can't sit there for half an hour or an hour mm-hmm. or whatever it is they do because it's just so you know, it's so intense what's going on in their life. And yeah. sometimes I say that one's practice needs to be able to expand and contract. Sometimes you meditate. You're getting into it. It's very exciting. And each day, maybe you, over time, you're adding more time. And maybe you go from five minutes to 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Your practice is expanding with your enthusiasm. And then maybe mm, later, mm. pressures of life, your enthusiasm maybe wanes. Whatever is the case circumstances change you you your practice starts to contract and some people say well if I've done If I'm up to 45 minutes if I go back to 50 minutes, that's rubbish because yeah, you know, I'm going backwards But actually that's not true Just like after you inhale you have to exhale. Sometimes your practice has to contract from In many different ways one of them is time can get smaller so doing and so people sometimes they won't practice at all because they think if they're not doing their forty-five minutes, it's not worth it. Well, I yeah. need my forty-five minutes. Well, you yeah. can do five minutes. You can do ten minutes. Yeah. And especially in a time of high intensity, where there's lots of fear and stress and maybe pain and maybe sickness. You know, yeah. Some people are sick. Uh, not just from coronavirus, but people are sick. People are still sick of other things too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some people, if they're in isolation, may be sick of each other.
0: <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, you're cooped up with your Spouse, you know, now you're gonna to have to get to know each other. Good luck. Oh, yeah <laughs> anyway, But um that in- increased intensity um, If you can bring uh, almost devotional uh, quality of good Best you can practice for a short period of time. It's actually yeah. quite good. So yeah in a way from a meditation point of view because seeing as you're asking me to advise somebody who's beginning meditation
3: yeah
1: um, you can be reassured that this is part of the program it's within the uh, stress threshold of meditation it's what it's it's one of the things it's designed for and that a little goes a long way especially when things are intense yeah yeah that's and awesome. even if you meditate, you may expect to meditate and become calm. What you may find when you meditate is that you actually feel the stress and fear really? more clearly, because one of the things that we do when we don't feel very nice is we engage in other activities. Everyone knows yeah. that, you know, have you you know, do anything else, read a book, you know, look, watch the Netflix, do these things. And that's fine. That's part of coping. But when you meditate, there's not an awful lot standing between you and what you're actually feeling, what's there to be felt.
3: Mm, mm, mm. And
1: so you may notice a um, uh, that you are able to feel more clearly your fear and concern, and you think, well, is that because I'm meditating poorly? No, it's not because you're meditating poorly. It's because mm. that's underneath. That's mm. what's actually you're. That's what's going on inside of you, and you're just contacting it now and seeing it a bit more clearly. So it's nice to know that. And by seeing it more clearly, and trying to relax, and trying to let it be there, and applying whatever the technique you may have. Um, that's a productive way of relating to those things. So over time, uh, your, um, uh, well, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Essentially it improves a little bit your resilience, perhaps maybe releases and relaxes some of that fear and stress. At the very least it um, uh, can shortcut a little bit of the drivenness that drives us to do other things. Yeah. Uh, because of what we're feeling to escape what we're feeling so yeah. a little bit goes a long way in a situation like this yeah. there's no guarantee that meditation will make you feel better um, because you may not be feeling very good and if you don't feel very good then when you meditate you're going to feel the not goodness you know <laughs> but that's part of life and learning to relate to that not goodness more skillfully more openly more honestly um, is uh, in my experience anyway and in the experience of other meditators i think a lot of the time uh, yeah. can be very beneficial
0: yeah yeah totally
2: i think very very wise words
0: <laughs> thanks
1: but my experiences about the actual thing itself my thoughts about that well you know one of the reasons that i'm interviewing all these people
0: yeah
1: uh, is to sort of save people from my opinions because i'm interviewing lots of different people you you guys yes
0: you i know, picked up on it yeah i may
1: not know that I'm doing this pandemic series, so I'm going through all my old guests and, and lots of new ones too And I'm asking them questions about how to deal with fear and anxiety What to do yeah. what to do when you're sick from a meditation point of view not from yeah. a medical point of view because They're not talking yeah. um, What to do if you're facing death or you're dying what to do if you want to help other people who are de- who are sick and dying Yeah, what to uh, any tips they have for being in isolation for a prolonged period of time, which is sort of a meditators, you know idea of a vacation so <laughs> What is uh, what advice do you have for? people in that situation. So I'm getting all these experienced people um, give from their point of view, from their practice, from their traditions, sharing insights. And one of the things you know, that that does is it um, gives people a range of things to hear and it saves them from my opinions. But um, my opinion, I would say we, there's so much that can be said, but we hear about people who are sick or dying we hear about people with cancer, refugees mm. in war-torn countries, and so on. And unless it touches us directly, we don't tend to think about it much. Um, mm. Sure, there are some people, you know, getting bombed in Iraq, but you know, I'm not getting bombed. And after mm. all, what can I do about it? You know, yeah. who, who cares? Who cares really about about those people? You know, uh, maybe you're once empathetic or sympathetic for a moment and thinks oh mm, gosh mm. there are people but then you you turn away and get on with life
0: yeah and
1: there's but then if you get cancer you know or you do lose your home or something that you become sick or something mm. suddenly what's what's a common experience becomes common but sort of distant experience become becomes uniquely personal and pressing Mm. It can't be easily ignored. Now suddenly, mm. you know, you are sick. So mm. one of the things mm. that um, one may be surprised about, I've, I've had some periods of, you know, of quite severe uh, sickness in my life. And one of the things that um, one may be surprised about is that while yes, one's own world is crumbling, because when you're mm. sick, it doesn't matter, like, the percentage of people who get sick from something. If you're sick, that's 100% of all the people, which is you, yeah. <laughs> you know. So actually, then, so one's world is somewhat crumbling and dominated by this, possibly. And actually, the people walking down the street, they're just fine. They don't really, they don't really care. I mean, they may be sympathetic, but fundamentally, they're not sick. And so the opposite happens. The opposite happens. Whereas before, other people were suffering and you weren't. Now you're suffering and they aren't, <laughs> and that but that's not much of a relief. It can almost feel like an insult, you know, the people and sort of say, how can you sit here and cost a coffee, having a cappuccino, you know, don't, you know, I have cancer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> don't, you know, I uh, whatever. So one drowns, one can drown in one's separateness and self-centeredness in a way. And, yeah. it, you know, with Galileo and Copernicus before those, those kind of guys, People thought that the earth was the center of the universe that everything revolved around the earth and then Galileo and Copernicus and people like that said, oh, actually it looks like uh, The earth revolves around the Sun. Oh, oh, so we're not the center of the universe but actually also The Sun revolves around, you know, is part of this Milky Way, right? revolving around another center Mm. and the earth is a center relatively speaking Uh, Because the moon revolves around the earth and satellites revolve around the earth.
3: Mm.
1: So it's not fair to say that the earth isn't a center. Mm. It's just not the center. Mm. And that's similar to us. It's not fair to say to somebody, you are not the center. Uh, Well, it's not fair to say to someone, you're not a center Mm -hmm. of the universe. You're just not the center. So that's one of the things I think that can come from meditating and just life experience also, is to recognize that you're a center among centers. And if you really examine that center, your point of view, um, you know, it has been alleged that one of the things you may notice is that it's fundamentally dependent on relationship with everything else. Doesn't Mm, exist by mm, itself. mm. Exists in relationship to everything else, interdependence. There's an ebb and a flow. You draw from your environment, Nutrition you draw from your environment oxygen. You also draw from your environment your own subjectivity
3: mm.
1: The only reason I know I'm over here is because you're over there now to you You're here and I'm over there but I'm my position in space is is I, I Can feel that and define that by my relationship to everything else. I don't have a place of my own I only have a place in relationship to other things. Mm, mm, and I, mm. I think you know, we also give to our environment. Our actions influence our environment. We're part of the weave of the unfolding. So we're breathing out, drawing from the environment, breathing out, uh, giving to the environment around us. And that's, I think, what death is like in a way. It's it's an exhalation, the unraveling mm. of the constituent parts of the body-mind and giving the giving those strands that make up the rope of Bill or Jasmine or Steve made of all these strands back to where it was drawn from in the first place so that mm. sense of separation between subject and object is an articulation of the interrelationship It's there's no alienation fundamentally
3: mm, mm.
1: anyway with that sort of a thinness of um or broadness of view then i've noticed that the sheer leafiness of a leaf can be a terrific balm to one's personal suffering
0: yeah
1: um because, uh, well, and people having a coffee in a coffee shop isn't insulting. It's actually a relief. It's an offering. Yeah. It's sort of the play of the very same life that you are. Yeah. And that's quite wonderful. know, yeah, It's quite nice. Wonderful. So it's much like any other situation. The one we're in. People go through difficult situations. This is a difficult situation. Sometimes they live. Sometimes they die. Sometimes you come out with one or two less body parts. Eventually, we all die. And we try to make the best of it, and we try to do our best to optimize conditions, which is, mm. I think, the momentum of the organism. That's we can't help but try to do that, and that's good. Mm. Um, so there's nothing wrong with the situation. I don't think we've been cheated or hard done by. Inconvenient as it is to our my plans and hopes, it's very painful. People are suffering. Mm. You know, so we just, I think, try to do what we can, do our best, to optimize to optimize the conditions. One of the examples I sometimes think about in this context is actually a survival example. Let's say you're in a survival situation, your hot air balloon has crashed into the jungle or something, and you're in a situation. People have a variety of different responses to a survival situation like that. Some people go into denial. I think we're seeing that. Some people, um, panic and start doing all kinds of unnecessary and unhelpful activity Uh, but the best approach is to accept the situation Hmm. accept it in the sense that one's able to look at it and see it and um, the any data that may be coming you're available to receive it in your situation and then you've got the best chance of surviving and getting out of the jungle you might not get out of the jungle but certainly you have a better chance of getting out of the jungle if you can accept that yes you are indeed in the jungle and yeah. yes this is indeed an unpleasant and inconvenient if we would put it in a very british way situation yeah uh, and we have this sort of water and we've got this ability to Contact help and we have this and so on you have to start to assess. What is at our disposal? And then you try to do what you can with the data you've got and the resources you have and you The chips will fall where they where they will So this acceptance is not a passivity. It actually liberates Mm, Whatever effective action may be available to you Nice Yeah. Those are some musings, but for more wise and experienced And Diverse musings, please go to my pandemic series of the Guru
0: Viking podcast. (laughs) Yes. Highly recommended Guruviking.com you heard it here folks Um, (laughs) Steve it's been such a pleasure. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time Um, Is there anything any closing notes you'd like to to pass on to listeners and and where can people find you?
1: Yes, I'd actually like to ask Jasmine about her three hours a day for a year thing. <laughs> and then the answer to the second question is www.guruviking.com or Steve James on Facebook or Guru Viking on Facebook.
0: Right, let's go, Jasmine. Let's go. Okay, <laughs> so
1: so what did you do in those three be... years? Uh, in those, in uh, in that year, what was the technique? What, why did you do it? Um, a- any interesting things you discovered in that process? That's an incredible um, experiment
2: so i every time i think of my retreats i like i think of them very fondly and uh the last one i had done at that time was serving on a vipassana course and i found that that was probably one of the most rich formats of a retreat that i i had ever been on and it's it's because of three hours is not a short amount of time so that's minimum and things that's enough for for whatever might be lurking under the surface to arise and at the same time it gives you so much energy to be productive in your day-to-day life so during that time I had never been so concentrated on serving others and being present and it was by the time it got to for example the second or the third sitting i would i would be really exhausted and it was just that like energy injection that i needed even though i really didn't want to sit every single time
3: mm.
2: um, and after i came out of the retreat i thought what would it be like if i was just on a retreat all the time like why am i confined to having to go to a specific location why can't my entire life be a retreat Mm. um so that was why i undertook it and because i already had the momentum i just thought okay i'm just going to start then and i had found actually because it was a while ago i i I don't i will only remember very very specific meditations but for the most part what i saw is that during as I increased over a period of time, for, there was this like one very clear three weeks where I was changing every single day, but quite drastically. And maybe it was the incremental amount of sitting and reflecting and then being fully integrated into my life. But I experienced a lot of... Um, shifting in how I was coming like the alignment of how I was showing up in my life and being able to um, be present and living what I valued on a daily basis and then that also the internal reflection started manifesting out to who I spoke to uh, how I spoke to them who I wanted to keep in my life to how I showed up for work what I even wanted to do and it just unfolded unfolded like that and for the areas that weren't really serving me it became very drastic and severe in this is not for you anymore and uh one of the, the hardest moments of it was re the reconciliation of realizing that maybe as I am going on a trajectory that I Others who were around me at that time might not be on the same trajectory. And um, for one of it, it was my best friend at the time, uh, who I had been friends with for 10 years. And I also voiced this to her. I said, I I don't know if we're going to make it to when we're like 60 and like we're grandmas. We had like this dream together. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I also asked like, her thoughts and reflections on it and it was it was actually quite a frightening time um because when you realize that you are living in alignment with yourself you don't expect it to be also so painful um and to the end of it after six months we ended up not being friends anymore and um i think the practice was helpful in the sense of holding that space and um yeah being supportive for me but it I, I feel like when you do so much uh, meditation it, over a long period of time it it like transforms you uh, I don't know if it's for better or, or worse but definitely <laughs> you become more in alignment with yourself and in some ways that feels good but ways it it's like the growing pains are just really strong um, Yeah.
1: Let me ask you then a question about that. Is this all right to, to ask you? Yeah, yeah, question?
2: yeah, for uh, sure. Bill
1: yeah. and Jasmine. So, <laughs>
2: um,
1: that's interesting. I've noticed uh, myself that on this issue of alignment, that one of the effects of meditation, as I mentioned, is you become more you know, present. When I talked about concentration before is when your concentration gets a little bit more uh, and you, start to become distracted it takes you a little bit longer to get distracted and you start to see a little bit of more of the thing that would have been distracting you you sort of see it coming in in a way you start to say oh okay You start to see how you what your mind's actually doing you get to know yourself also there could be a sense of sensory clarity where you begin to unravel the threads that make up the rope of certain experiences so in other words I think i'm doing one thing and indeed i am that's the veneer but the motivations and needs that i'm attempting to satisfy through that action are a myriad there's many of them and and one begins to notice the example of meditation i think is when you want to scratch your nose and you don't and you realize that you don't really have an itchy nose what it really is is that you're just sitting there and for whatever reason, you feel like if you don't do something and act upon something in your environment, you know, you think I've got to do something. I feel like agitated or bored or something. So let me just do something. Right. And you realize that the itchy nose is just in a way it's the uh, it's the top level of that motivational structure. And I've noticed myself that s- some of my uh, behaviors have been disrupted when I've begun to penetrate the motivational structures at play. And I think, gosh, do I really want to sign off on that? Do I really want to use this behavior for that outcome? Now that I know part of what's, they say that if you knew how the food was cooked, you wouldn't eat at the restaurant. You know, if you could see what the, what goes on in the kitchen. It's a little bit like seeing what's going on in the kitchen <laughs> of your mind. And you go to think, wow, I thought I was doing X, but actually I'm doing all these other things as well. Anyway. That um, I noticed for myself can cause a bit of a crisis because suddenly you think, well, if I'm not going to do that, what am I going to do? That's the pattern that I know. If I don't do that, you're taking a left turn off the rails into any kind of possibility. There are no other tracks because that's just what you've always done. And then you go into this other realm of possibility that can be quite stressful. Well, who am I if I'm not that person who does that thing? Can be a bit of an identity crisis, or certainly it can be a little bit of an action crisis. Well, if I'm not going to fulfil my needs this way, or if I'm not going to pursue that course of action, what do I do with it? How do I do? It? What do I make it left or Right. Anyway, that's an anatomy of an experience that I've not, or a trend I've noticed to do with what I think you're talking about when you say integrity or you know authenticity or alignment. But what's the anatomy of that alignment piece that you you're describing?
2: uh it it always feels like as something arises and you see that let's say it's not necessarily serving you and then i think it it, it happens outside of the meditation actually it mm. um in seeing how something is and the real reality of it then act, acting on actually it's true that this doesn't serve me and mm. how do i what what yeah what course of action do I take in such a way that inside I definitely know that that's right for me so for myself it was will I still continue this friendship or how does it evolve after this or yeah is it is it right and actually it ends up being that after a long period of trying there there were no actions to take and so it ended Um, so in that kind of sense of doing what is actually right for you and also what's right for them as well because maybe I I wasn't showing up as a friend that they needed either Uh, a lot of the actions that I was taking even my meditation was confrontational to them Mm,
3: mm.
2: and reflected in them maybe something that they uh, didn't like or didn't feel good about and so we spoke about that and yeah so for both parties it's not in alignment and in accordance with where we're at
1: that's very interesting indeed yeah it's very interesting
2: yeah mm-hmm. and most of my meditations actually i find are closer to uh, more painful experiences as opposed to joy um whether it's just like things coming up and, and maybe they're like very deep-seated traumas or whatever it might be, but a lot of the time it's painful in my experience. Like physical so pain.
1: Why do you continue if it's painful?
2: It feels like well, how I I've come to see pain is that it, it's something that's asking for your attention and um it's all it's like everything else like asking to be loved and to be seen and it's there for a reason it's not just something that you need to push away it's like what what I also want to really understand why am I hurting if it seems like from the outside I'm not like what is there that I don't know and how can I come to know that part of myself that feels that way or is it a part of the human condition that we all feel that way to some level anyway because we have that capacity and is it that I need to come to know that feeling more um at that time uh maybe to understand others or I feel like it's just there for a reason and just to look inwards.
1: That's a very interesting last point you made. i think that, you know, we, we were saying last, a little bit earlier that I was, that often we know people are sick or something like that, you know, people have sickness and so on, but we don't really often spend a great deal of time and energy thinking about it or worrying about it or empathizing about it. Um, and one thing that's interesting though, if if you do get sick, if one does get, become ill with something or diagnosed with something suddenly uh you have something in common with all those other ones that have got it. There's a sort of kinship. You're in a sort of special kind of a club and it's ability to relate. So any, any loss or difficulty you've had that someone else has had similarly in a way you've been to the same territory and there's, I've noticed an availability, relational availability, which I suppose traditionally may be called something like compassion or something like this, but more of that naturally and spontaneously available to the more i suffer
2: <laughs> uh, i agree that's very completely interesting. i agree it, it's like there's a that quote I, I can't remember if it's from maya angelou but or maybe it's mother Teresa. but until you experience like the depths of your pain only then can you really understand how how it means to be kind
1: yeah that's very interesting um it's like the pounding of the suffering on the seed of your heart releases the oil of yeah. passion in a way and it's the willingness to feel willingness to feel a certain spectrum of experience that allows you to um, relate I think to people in that way well, that's a beautiful I, quote I, I
2: that I I you, you hear it also in like Khalil Gibran isn't it on sorrow and on joy isn't it that the flute that was carved by the person who makes flutes and um, create the sound which is so beautifully heard when we hear the music.
1: Yeah, I have a poem here on my shelf that's to do with that. Maybe. And
3: oh, I so. I, I, on, I,
2: sometimes like a lot of people ask like well why is this happening? Like why do I, I feel this? And uh, a teacher once told me like you don't really need to know, you're already there and for me, that was very re- releasing because now it, it doesn't matter what I experience. It's just how can I find deeper learning from it?
1: It doesn't matter why.
2: Why I'm experiencing it. Like if for, it can vary from like, okay, maybe I'm saying talking about pain now, but then it can go from anything to, oh, I see colors or I, I feel this type of state or like maybe these jhanas or this, that and the other. And for me, I, I don't think I've ever been results focused after the Mm. the point in which he said that and it was actually me asking him oh why are these colors here or like why is there no sounds in my mind or like Mm. and he said you just don't need to worry about that like you're already there and I was just like oh my gosh you know
3: Mm.
2: this entire like worrying and oh man it that released a lot for me and so now I almost have no goal orientation except to get to a place where I love myself deeper
1: very interesting yes that um, (laughs) the problem with goals is an ambition is that it can you you can reject or miss what's actually happening Mm -hmm. isn't it of course what is actually happening is that you have goals and orientations so I think it's one of those great riddles isn't it that the journey of it's a great journey of a thousand miles that oh it's a great journey a great distance, but the distance is zero. So you go on this great <laughs> long journey to find yourself at the place that, this is what Shinsen sometimes says, you, you go on this great long journey to find yourself at the place that you always were. <laughs> that's, <laughs> the, that's the cosmic joke of meditation. We do all mm. these maneuvers, uh, and we, uh, we where do we end up? Right here.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. That's it. that's why it's such a funny hobby. Okay, so here's this cool um, poem by um. a Antonio Machado, Last Night As I Was Sleeping. Have you guys ever heard this one?
0: Never. I think so. Go for it. Yeah.
1: It's, um, Last Night As I Was Sleeping, I Dreamt, Marvelous Error, That a spring was breaking out in my heart. I said, Along which secret aqueduct, O water, are you coming to me? Water of a new life that I've never drunk? Last Night As I Was Sleeping, I Dreamt, Marvelous Error, that I had a beehive here inside my heart, and the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey from my old failures. Last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt, marvelous error, that a fiery sun was giving light inside my heart. It was fiery because I felt warmth as from a hearth, and sun because it gave light and brought tears to my eyes. Last night as I slept, I dreamt marvellous error that it was God I had here inside my heart. The thing about that poem that's so interesting, these metaphors of the heart, a spring breaking out in the heart is the first metaphor. And I think it's like that sometimes. You have this upwelling of love, compassion. It seems to break out from the hard ground of your of my, of our, whatever, of the hard ground, it comes and it's like, wow, where did you come from? Along which secret aqueduct or water are you mm, coming to me? Mm. Water of a new life that I've never drunk. And that's the other thing about compassion is that it, and love, it always feels and tastes fresh. Mm. Even though it's the one taste that everything tastes of, somehow it's <laughs> always fresh and new and, you know, as delightful uh, to taste as it ever, as the first taste. And then the next metaphor is about the beehive. I have a beehive, and the golden bees making white combs and sweet honey from my old failures. And that that says speaks to me anyway. Of that, our failures and difficulties and sufferings are, in a certain sense, making that sweet honey of say, compassion, openness, sweetness, tenderness that comes from, as we've been discussing. Yeah. And then the last part about the fire, and it says. Uh, a fiery sun was giving light inside my heart. Fiery because I felt warmth is from a hearth. And isn't it the case that sometimes love has a warming effect? It's the cold, austere lines and forms, uh, and emotions, even like pain, as you said, can be warmed somehow and uh, loved into a uh, with that and. And then the sun, because it gave light and brought tears to my eyes. I also think compassion allows us to see things more clearly because with compassion, you're willing, that's the light part. You're willing to see and feel and actually be with. You described being with your pain. You're, you're able to, you're saying you meditate and it hurts a lot, but somehow that's not a problem. Being with your pain is not a problem. You've learned that pain is for a reason and you said, and that, you can actually love your pain and that actually loving your pain is a good thing to do it's pain needs love too you know and then the brought tears to my eyes part i think that's what happens isn't it sometimes the eyes leak <laughs> when uh, when love and compassion is is there for whatever reason you know i think it's a thing that humans beings do we sometimes have tears that come when we feel that compassion you know so it's a marvelous and Mysterious thing to be a human being caught in the midst of Going and coming and wanting and not wanting and sort of from pressed from the outside pressed from the inside, you know viruses
3: <laughs>
1: All sorts of things happening uh, it's just what what a
0: what a strange thing it is to be alive Steve Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> Jasmine, thank you also. Thanks, Such Bill. a pleasure thanks, both to Yeah. Both. And, thank um, you.
2: Let's connect as well. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Let's yeah. We that. should all stay in
1: touch. It's a shame we can't. We couldn't do this in person, but thanks so much for inviting me, Bill.
0: Nice to meet you, Jasmine.
2: Yeah, lovely to meet you. Such
0: thank you pleasure. for sharing as well all your thoughts. Um, it'd I'm be great to poem. get that a, a link to that poem. We can drop it in the uh the the author in the show notes
2: yeah i can send it it
0: to you yeah thank you so much and um thank you to anyone who's listening do let us know what you thought of the the episode and uh we'll there'll be more soon with a bit of luck thanks steve so so good both of you amazing
2: have a wonderful day both of you
0: yeah yeah brilliant uh, I hate to I hate to say bye now, but it's, it's <laughs> I've got I've got to get back to my family. Then. Yeah, yeah. You have to stop me. the recording, right? I
2: yeah. do at
0: some point. Yeah. Okay. Alright. If
2: right. you press stop as well.
0: Yeah, I'll do that in um okay. what's it called Zencaster. Alright, I'm doing that now. Boom.
2: And also on Skype.
0: And on Skype, it does it on its own. I think when we end the call.